and welcome to the GTR News Brief. It's Wednesday, November 25th, and here are a few of the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance this week. Singapore's High Court has sided with energy trader Goodwood Associates in a dispute over a missed $1.5 million payment, dismissing claims from fellow oil company Southern Peck that the duo had agreed to devise a series of sham trade transactions. Goodwood had claimed it was still due payment from Southern Peck, a group of companies involved in oil trading, bunkering and shipping, for a sale of petroleum in July 2015. An argument Judge Hu Xiaopeng described as straightforward in her November ruling. Southern Peck, however, claims that the trade was part of a wider web of fictitious transactions and that Goodwood had agreed to support those fake trades in order to give an artificial boost to its recorded income. In a new statement signed at a summit in Paris, development banks from across the world have pledged to reorientate their trade finance activities to help achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. The SDGs are 17 goals which cover issues like poverty, climate change, environmental degradation and governance. However, the banks have avoided hard transition targets for fossil fuel financing, and some institutions, notably those in Asia, chose not to commit at all. One prominent omission was the Asian Development Bank. A spokesperson for the multilateral tells GTR that while ADB supports many elements of the declaration, it contains policy commitments that have not yet been deliberated by its board. It pointed out that there are other big players they are yet to commit to. Another news. JP Morgan has become the first validation agent in the Global Legal Entity Identifier System. Established in 2014 by the G20, the LEI is a unique electronic 20-digit standard identifier for legal entities participating in global financial transactions. Each LEI contains information about an entity's ownership structure and thus answers the question of who is who and who owns whom. Proponents of the LEI say it could solve several pain points in trade. They could potentially help banks conduct know-your-clients due diligence and mitigate against the risk of correspondent bank relationships being cut. Plus, they could work to increase access to finance for SMEs in emerging markets by making information about them easier to come by. However, until now, take-up has been slow, with companies only registering for an LEI when forced to by regulators. Now, in this episode, we have a guest interviewee to discuss how export credit agencies, or ECAs, have reacted to the economic and trade-related effects of COVID-19 this year. A timely discussion given the recent release of GTR's Q4 the export finance issue. Louis Taylor is Chief Executive of the UK's official export credit agency, UK Export Finance. And much like other ECAs around the world, UKF has had to help address critical shortages in liquidity in the market. ECAs around the world have had to not only boost their levels of cover this year, but also provide different types of support, focusing on working capital programmes, for instance. Louis Taylor explains to me how ECAs like UKF have worked to help keep trade flowing, as well as which sectors and regions they've had to boost support to. Plus, he discusses whether programmes rolled out specifically during the pandemic will become permanent fixtures in ECA's toolboxes. So Louis, just initially, 
Can you tell me how has access to export finance changed globally since the outbreak of the virus and in the UK in particular? In the UK specifically, uh, we've significantly widened access to our support uh, in order to support UK businesses affected by the pandemic. And we secured thousands of jobs in the process. I think the thing, one of the things that we've done, which um, others in Europe will also have done, is that we temporarily expanded the scope of our credit insurance policies uh, to now allow them to cover exports, not only to 180 countries in total, but now including uh, EU members, Australia, the US, other developed markets that previously, um, under the rules, uh, we weren't really allowed to operate in. And that's really to make up for a shortfall, um, perhaps, or a perceived potential shortfall in, uh, in the provision of credit insurance by the private market. And obviously, that kind of insurance provides UK exporters with security and confidence to keep selling their goods and services across the world, even during a period um, of uncertainty. And that's led to a threefold increase in UKF in the applications uh, for this kind of support since March, uh, which really provides a lifeline to UK exporters. The second thing we've done is that um, we've agreed a temporary financing framework with £10 billion of additional capacity behind it um, through uh, the UK Treasury. Uh, and we agreed that at the start of the pandemic. And that sits alongside UK's existing offer, our business as usual offer to exports, uh, and to the £50 billion of total capacity that we previously had. So it goes up to 60 effectively. Uh, and many businesses have found their access to finance has been constrained, despite their underlying business quality being good. Um, so, you know, for companies that we would have um, helped before the pandemic, and they're assessed to be sound looking beyond the economic impact of this virus, um, we've already supported over £2.5 billion pounds with the business, uh, and as I say, protected over 100,000 UK jobs. Governments and ECAs around the world have rolled out numerous support packages. Can you tell us a bit more about the vital role they've played? Absolutely. So um, I think that the need for support in pretty much every country uh, is very clear. And but the way in which that support support's been provided has, uh, has differed across um, countries. Uh, and some uh, have used um, their ECA as their main route of support, for example, Sace in Italy. Other countries have used a, a wider range of institutions. But I think that the nature of the sport has related to whether it's new schemes for working capital or insurance or reinsurance, whether it's increased capacity under existing schemes, or it's modification of the terms and conditions of support on existing transactions and potential transactions by way of, for example, payment holidays on existing exposures. Um, and so, uh, you know, as I say, various countries have done this in, uh, in different ways. In the UK, the broad financial support for companies has not been provided so much through UCAF, but through other institutions, such as the British Business Bank. As I said before, during the crisis, um, we've established at UCAF this £10 billion risk framework, the UCAF temporary COVID risk framework, allows to continue to provide financial support to exporters whose ratings have been impacted um, by COVID. Um, but in particular, we've introduced some uh, new products as well. Uh, our range of tried and tested products absolutely still applies, so buyer credit, um, via credit uh, and also our working capital schemes. We've developed a new working capital scheme, uh, particularly one for large companies and one for small companies as well. And Louis, which regions and or sectors have needed the most ECA support? How has UKEF, as well as other ECAs, stepped up to meet this demand? So I think that, um, in, in, let's split that out into, into two, uh, the regions and then the sectors. In terms of the regions, this is really about um, liquidity and access to finance. 
And um, we certainly have seen no let up in the deal flow that we're being asked to look at, uh, particularly across Africa, um, where liquidity can often be quite tight and particularly in difficult market conditions. Um, so uh, transactions in Egypt, in Ghana, in Uganda, uh, just some of those which um, we see in Cote d'Ivoire, just we see um, really carrying on um, uh, and going to towards completion, um, even in, in these difficult times. But it's also the case that whilst in uh, many developed economies, the monetary policy options that government have had in the last few months around quantitative easing are less available to those in less liquid markets where um, currency is, um, is is less broadly traded uh, and where inflation concerns are greater. And that would particularly be developing markets, not only uh, Africa, but in other parts of the world as well. So we've seen um, a need to support there. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll come on to it, I'm sure, at some point with the debt um, uh, service um, suspension initiative uh, under the, um, the OECD. Um, that has been and the IMF has been really, really important as well. So that's um, kind of a little bit on the on the regions. Uh, in terms of sectors that need the most ECA support, I think that um, you know airlines, aircraft manufacturers, um, airports, uh, as well as um, you know even rail uh, and particularly cruise liners. Uh, you know those uh, are all areas that have been extremely hard hit. Um, we certainly have provided uh, quite a lot of support to airlines and aircraft lessors along with our French and German counterparts in relation to uh, Airbus aircraft. We've also supported a few Boeing 787s powered by Rolls-Royce uh, as well. But that um, the levels of business we're seeing in that sector um, are back at um, actually post 9-11 uh, kind of levels, not even financial crisis, more than, more than that. Um, so this is um, a really focused on those sectors where you've seen this catastrophic fall in revenues uh, as a result of the pandemic. And Louis, given their support through this crisis, including the provision of working capital finance, for example, do you think we might see a more permanent shift in ECA's product offerings? So look, I, uh, I think obviously some of the programmes I've referred to are specifically a response to the COVID crisis, and I expect them to be withdrawn over time. Uh, even our own sort of temporary COVID framework, well, the clues in the name. But what I think is going to be more permanent is that... Um, some ECAs will be more focused on their domestic exporters than they are on the overseas buyers of exports. Uh, and I, what I mean is that where um, previously the vast preponderance of UKEF's work was on overseas um, support for the buyers of British exports through our buyer credit and direct lending products, um, proportionally we will see, I think, a much greater uh, level of our support going to um, domestic working capital through the two products that I've mentioned, Export Development Guarantee and the General Export Facility, um, because I think that um, you know keeping companies going, allowing them to offer longer payment terms to their customers, uh, that's going to be uh, of greater emphasis over the uh, the next few years as economies recover from this um, crisis. So there will be some uh, permanent change. There'll be some certainly um, sort of structural change. But there's some of this which is going to be cyclical. Uh, but that, that would be the major trend I would see, that uh, the ECA is doing more domestic support for their exporters, uh, perhaps proportionately than previously. Great stuff. And Louis, just finally, uh, where are you seeing opportunities for growth going forward at UCAF? 
Um, so look, I think the global financial disruption caused by by COVID nineteen is likely is is clearly going to be felt. Not just likely, it's clearly going to be felt for some time. Uh, so we're identifying overseas projects which have robust fundamentals, have long term growth potential that could benefit from UK expertise, uh, and which have long economic lives. Such that the investment decisions are not just uh, about consumption; they're about genuinely about investment. So we're thinking about transport infrastructure. We're thinking about hospitals. Uh, we're thinking um, about um, uh, other other infrastructure facilities um, that are, are productive uh, for an economy and help development. So our business development pipeline is having an increasing focus also on clean growth. Uh, and uh, in the last um, budget, the Chancellor awarded us two billion pounds of direct lending to green projects only, uh, and we are busy finding the projects that we're going to be able to use that direct lending for. We're expanding our international network. In order to maximise this potential, we've got 12 country heads operating across 11 countries at the moment, uh, having regional roles. We're going to increase this to 20 um, in strategic markets in the coming months and potentially out to 30 over the course of the next two or three years. They will work alongside um, the nine uh, Her Majesty Trade Commissioners and British ambassadors all over the UK, the globe rather, um, uh, and, and with overseas governments in order to uh, encourage um, the procurement uh, for big infrastructure. So we um, we see these opportunities then in big infrastructure, particularly in renewables and clean growth. Uh, and we see uh, it in developing markets where uh, liquidity is going to remain tight for some time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GTR News Brief. We'll have more stories from the world of trade and trade finance soon. The music used for this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod with his track Loopster, as well as South London Hi-Fi with their track Sunrise Drive. Thanks for listening. <laughs>